everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of our Financial Wellbeing Podcast. We've just had heated debates off air as to exactly which number in the series this is. We all know that it's somewhere in the 70s, and that's as much as I'm able to tell you at the moment. <laughs> Joining me today are my two very good pals and partners in financial, well, honesty rather than crime, Chris Budd and Tom Morris. Say hello, Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello, Tom. Hello, Tom. <laughs> Good. I'm glad it's like the two Ronnies, and my and my name is David Lloyd. For those of you that have listened before, we like to get together every so often, and we talk through issues concerning financial well-being. And today, I'm a little bit concerned about the episode today. It's called Don't Be a Creep. I'm a bit concerned that Chris has come up with this because he's harboring some long-standing grudge against the two of us, and it's all going to come tumbling out. Can you tell us more, Chris? Well, that is actually true, but that's not what the episode is about. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to look at the issue of lifestyle creep, why we never seem to have enough money left at the end of the month, and what we can do about it, because we do always like to try and be practical along with our theory, don't we? Absolutely, and that is very, very true. No matter how much money you've got somehow, it never seems to be enough. Before we go to the first of our issues, what's happening in our lives, guys? Uh, Chris, I was rather confused today. I was chatting to you before we came on air. I wished you a very happy birthday because Facebook told me it was your birthday. But I understand Facebook's got it wrong. Well, yes, I think it's amazing that people put their dates of birth on social media because your date of birth is whenever you phone up your bank, one of the first things they say is, can we check it's you? Give us your date of birth. So I put a fake date of birth on, on social media. Actually, I use a, a, a fake date of birth, a different one for each social media. But the great thing is, every once in a while in the middle of February, I get loads of lovely messages saying happy birthday, when it actually isn't. So that's quite, it works out quite well. Well, I suppose it does. But then, of course, you have to go to great lengths to explain what you've done, which is very sensible, by the way. So uh, as I said to you earlier, I do wonder, maybe you should choose the 29th of February as your birthday. Then you'd only have to do that explanation once every four years. Or maybe Christmas Day when nobody's watching or something. <laughs> Tomo, what's happening with you? I can hear the sound of crying children in the background there. Yeah, that's my life, working from home still. And uh, yeah, and that is the soundtrack. Bella is, uh, what is she, four and a bit months old now? So yeah, crying is the thing. I think uh, it's all good. It's all good. I think Lovely. we need to just um, ask Tomo what the experience is like of having two weeks unable to leave the house with a four-year-old and a four-month-old baby ah yes i did have a I did, my phone pinged due to some contact tracing um thankfully we we didn't have coronavirus but we did have to stay in for yeah what was it 10 days it was an interesting experience um to say the least it, it, it tested tested the uh, patients um so yeah anyone who's gone through it will know exactly what i'm talking about not being able to let off I say a four-year-old boy is like a Labrador. You, they need to go out for a walk. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. But we got through it. We're all right. We're still well here. Done. It occurs to me that it's now must be getting on for It's now early February when we record this. And I think it was, what, end of March last year when we when we went virtual on our podcast. So it's been a long time, actually, since we've even seen each other, yeah. which some people might say is good, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> David, we should we, we always get a lovely question for you about how we didn't ever ask it back. How are you, David? Yeah, no, I'm good, thank you. Uh, looking forward to the new year. Just come off the back of uh, dry January, which was an interesting experience and largely enjoyable. 
How's the sales of your book, most importantly? Your novel? Sales of my book, you know, it's selling all right. As you know, Chris, you, you, you know, self-publishing, you're not going to necessarily uh, make a huge amount of money from it. But the sales have been good and steady. And I've noticed the thing that is that every, every so often, if you don't do any publicity, you don't sell any books. But if a little post on social media, something on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, I, I, I was I had a little article in the, in the local parish magazine recently, and that always leads to a few sales. So it's ticking along nicely. The most exciting thing about my book is the, well, two things. Especially week after next, I'm going to go into a studio in Chippenham and record the audio book version of it, which is very exciting. So I shall have an audio book version for you yes. to listen to. Uh, coming up hopefully in a few weeks' time. And I've also been working on a, a, a TV adaptation of it. Now, this is not anything that anyone has commissioned, but clearly that's what I do. You know, that's my core skill. So I've, I've just finished now episode three of three of turning it into a, you know, a three-part TV series, which I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed writing because all of the thinking about plot and character I'd done years ago. So this was really just a question of how I could take a story and characters that I knew very well, make them work in a television way. So that's been very enjoyable and I shall put it out there and we'll see if anybody picks it up. But yeah, that has occupied my time through dry January because surprise, surprise, I had nothing else to do and I had huge amounts <laughs> of spare energy. <laughs> Before we move on to the subject of today's podcast, Don't Be a Creep, we're going to come to the first of our regular features, and that is Beige's Behavioural Biases, where an old friend of the podcast, behavioural finance expert Neil Beige, gives us a one-minute introduction to a different behavioural bias that affects how we make decisions about money. Now, what is Neil telling us about this week? I think we'll let Neil answer that, because he tells us at the beginning of this clip. Let's have a listen to him. The Illusion of Control. I'm going to start this bias with a question, and please be honest. Are you less likely to get into a car accident if you are driving than if you are a passenger? So driver or passenger is your answer. Now, time and time again, researchers have shown that people often believe that they have more control over events in their lives than they do, especially when such control is impossible. Take this question as an example. You may very well be a great driver. But you have absolutely zero control over every other driver that shares the road with you. Every time we get into a car, we need every other driver that we come across to behave and also drive well in order that we can get to our destinations in one piece. It only takes one other driver to be an idiot for a split second and our story changes. And over this, we have no control at all. And when it comes to money and investing, people believe that if they have control over the investments they choose or the stocks they pick, then the outcome is more likely to be good than if they had no control at all, even if the investment choice is being selected by an investment professional. Now, what's really interesting here is that you and an investment professional jointly choose an investment and it goes wrong, it would be the professional's fault. If it went well, the success would be down to the choices that you made and not necessarily the professional. This is the illusion of control and such is the power of our own self-belief. There you go. I think that's it's not interesting. I, um, I used to work with a guy, I used to work in central London, Oxford Circus, and uh, this chap lived in Surrey and he drove to work every day into Oxford Circus every day. 
And um, when I asked him one day, and he paid, you know, huge amounts of money for parking and what have you. And I, I would say to him, why do you do this? You know, this train, the fantastic trains that go out from where you live. And he said, oh, I can't, I can't bear being on public transport. I want to be in my car so I can be in control. And I would say, what? So you'll sit on Pall Mall for 45 minutes at five o'clock in a rush hour. There's no control there. But he wanted to feel that he was in control of his, of his and he had no control over it at all. Yeah, it's that it's that ability to recognise that there are some things that you can control, but 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 many things that you can't, and there are so many factors around money that that you can make the wise decision, guess, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the outcome that you hope for every time. Indeed, you know, this is this is interesting. We we've seen it in in financial advice in the last well a number of years with final salary pension transfers. This idea, I want to control my pension. And I think Neil has summarised it. <laughs> you can't control your pension. What, you know, ultimately, it's invested in lots of other factors are involved that impact it. So, yeah, this idea of control is just, yeah. It's That's a great, really a powerful great example. One. Great example, Tommy. There was one chap with Fund of Pensions Freedoms as well, when people were taking all their money out of a pension, paying tax on it, putting it back into their estate and in a tax environment, um, which is absolutely crazy thing to do. And I remember one one uh, guy, friend of mine, who did it. And uh, I said, you know, why, why are you doing this? And he said, I just want to get my hands on the money. I don't want to be in the pension. I want to get my hands on the money. What are you going to do with it when you get your hands on it? I'm going to buy a flat and rent it out. <laughs> well, you haven't got your hands on the money then, have you? You've got to... I think, I think everybody should have a small amount of money in their pension pot that they can take out as cash and just like put it under their mattress and take it out every day and just sort of rub their hands on it and <laughs> savour the feel and the crinkle of the money. But it shouldn't be enough that it's going to fundamentally affect the way in which their money is invested. Well, well we are, I must caveat, that is not financial, financial advice. That, 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 that came from David. That is not financial <laughs> advice from Tom Morris, the actual advisor here, OK? No, no, I know. But it, <laughs> panders, it panders to that need in all of us to you know, get their hands on the money. Yeah, right, OK, let's move on to the next of our features now, which is the tight ass Tomo feature, uh, where our Prince of Parsimony, Tom Morris, comes up with once again another really, really good money-saving tip. Before we move on to Tom, I thought Chris has got one. I've got a couple this week, actually, uh, both of which I've realised have been as a result of recent events. Firstly, if you want to save money, I can strongly recommend being in lockdown during a pandemic because I was recently looking at my cash flow and the amount of money that I've spent. And to my surprise, I had a little bit more money than, you know, than I thought I had. So I sat down and realised all the things I haven't spent money on over the last year, and those are holidays, going to restaurants, going to pubs, going to the theatre, going to the cinema, and I've saved an absolute fortune. It's been a bit miserable, but that's one way of saving money. And then the other one, the other tip I've got is, is, is gold, because the other day, I'm, <laughs> I'm 66 this year in May. I'm going to be 66. No. Yeah, I know. Unbelievable, isn't it? And the other day, I got a letter from the government inviting me to apply for my state pension. So as of May of this year... Nine grand a year. Thank you very much. Obviously, I've put into it. I've paid into it. I'm only getting money back. I've paid in over the years. But that's a nice feeling. So so my two recommendations are live in a pandemic and be old. Very good. And, and you know, the thing about saving money is that there's some statistics about how much debt has been repaid over the last 11 months because people have been spending money. So they've been putting it away and paying off credit cards and what have you. So some good has come out of this pandemic. Good. 
Right, okay, Tomo, give us your big one. Oh, my big one. Uh, this one, straight to it, website called completesavings.co.uk. This is one of these cashback sites. There's some terrific cashback. Look, we're not here to encourage people to spend money willy-nilly, but we do need to spend money from time to time. And why not get some savings along the way? So completesavings.co.uk, sign up. Whenever you're thinking about buying something, click on it. There's some great cashback. eBay, 10% cashback. Hermes, 10% cashback. Teppanum's 10% cashback. I'm not sure that's going to be much use any longer, is it? Um, <laughs> I don't even like just... I've got a debit voucher. I need to spend that quickly. Yeah, quite. Um, there you go. There's a tip. Go spend your Debenhams voucher quickly, <laughs> folks. Uh, but look, I think you can even get a widget on your on your Google Chrome that makes sure that if you're on site, that you can get some cashback that you are directed towards it. So there you go. There's my tip. CompleteSavings.co.uk. Excellent. Uh, with fantastic crying child sound effect in you the love background. that. We're not even going to bother editing that out, guys, because no. <laughs> this is working from home life, right? It's the reality of life. Excellent. Okay, Chris, why don't you introduce our subject for today? I will, but I would just, just say about the crying child. What I, one of the things I've really liked about lockdown is how pr the standards of what it is to be a professional have so significantly <laughs> reduced <laughs> under, the, <laughs> under the lockdown. Domo's got I tell you what, though, is... As much as we could just carry on, that is quite a lot of crying. And I think it's only appropriate that I go to lend a hand quickly to see if there is anything that okay. needs to be sorted. So, pause, yeah. Pause. Right, okay. uh, let's move on, Chris. Uh, why don't you introduce our subject for today? So today we're going to talk about lifestyle creep, which is a term that describes how, as we earn more money, we spend more money with the result that we never seem to actually have any money left at the end of the month. Now, there is a technical name for this called hedonic adaption. Uh, regular listeners to the podcast hopefully will remember set point theory, which says that we oscillate around a set level of well-being, which is unique to each of us. 60% comes from DNA. And uh, we have a tendency to return back to that stable level of well-being, despite what life throws at us. But, and this is where the theory applies to lifestyle creep, it also means that as we make more money, so our expectations and desires rise. A great illustration of this this year, one of the things we do for our clients is uh, cash flow forecast, which you're familiar with, David. Um, this is where we take a client's expenditure, the current assets, pensions, etc., and their income, and we start to project it forwards over their lives. We make a few assumptions, such as job changes, retirement dates, and so forth, off costs such as weddings and you know, gifting to the children to help them get on the property ladder. And we see what the client needs to save in order for them not to run out of money in retirement. We also need one of a very important piece of information. The level of income the client believes they will need for a happy retirement. Well, interesting you say that having just done very recently this process once again with you, Tomo, uh, I can confirm that that does involve sometimes a little bit of guesswork from the client. It, it does. And we, we talk the client through this process using many of the principles we talk about in these podcasts, helping clients understand you know, what actually makes them happy. Now, I just so happened to speak to two clients near to each other recently who were, they were in similar positions, started, starting to think about retirement. And we discussed their income needs. And, and one client told me that they reckon they needed around about 50 grand a year in retirement. The other client said they needed an income in retirement of 100 K a year. 
Now, this got me thinking, what was so different about the well-being needs of these two clients that made such a huge difference in their perceived income needs? And what was their income uh, before retirement, Thomas? Good question, Chris. Well, that certainly had something to do with it because the client who said they needed a higher amount was earning a lot more than the other client. Oh, surprise, surprise. Now, uh, Neil Bates talked about this, didn't he, on his biases. Anchoring, was it called? He did indeed. David, your memory amazes me. <laughs> this is where, whereby how we estimate something's value. You know, it's influenced by a previous thing. So if you tell me you bought your watch for 500 quid, I'm likely to offer you a higher price to buy it off you. And if you told me you bought it for 50 quid, I'm probably going to offer you something less. So anchoring uh, is definitely part of the story. But can you also imagine that the client who is earning a lot more is also therefore going to be spending a lot more? So when they consider what they need to be happy in retirement, they base it on what they're currently spending, whether or not that is making them happy. Well, that's inevitable, surely. As we earn more income, we spend more money. Is that inevitable? Is there anything wrong with that if it is? Not necessarily. It depends, doesn't it? Are we spending more money on things that genuinely increase our well-being? When we come to not have those things anymore, are we unable to let them go, even though they aren't bringing us joy? And this, for me, is the biggie. By spending more, are we failing to save, to set money aside for things that might make us happy in the future? That's where lifestyle creep can be a real problem. So if someone gets a pay rise from a job they don't enjoy and they spend that money, they aren't bringing forward the day that they don't have to do that job anymore. Uh, there's a great line on this that I'd like to quote from a South African financial advisor. Tombo and I are involved with an organization called Next Gen Planners, and they did a, a global commute last summer. And excuse me for getting this, I'm going to attempt her, her first name, it's a bit difficult. Uh, Komoto Masongo, I think it's how you pronounce it. I have been asking on LinkedIn, she's a lovely lady. Um, and she had this great, great line. She said, you are paying into a pension towards your resignation, not your retirement, which oh, I think I like, is a lovely way of looking at it. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so what can people do to stop this lifestyle creep? Okay, we've got a few suggestions. So firstly, you can construct permanent reminders of what makes you happy in order to avoid being distracted and spending that extra money on things you don't really need and that don't add to your well-being. We get positive emotions from positive life changes, but those positive emotions decline over time as we revert back to our set point of well-being. So we can therefore remind ourselves of that change, what life would be like without it. Now, just to be a bit a bit extreme, a bit silly here, just to illustrate the point, um, a previous guest of the podcast, one of our absolute best guests, uh, although we do say that about everybody every time we mention them, Oliver Berkman wrote a brilliant book called The Antidote, which I recommend to anybody. It's such an interesting book. It's all about the antidote to uh, positive thinking. And it's really, really good. And he cites the Greek philosopher Epictetus. Is that right? Um, David, you know Greek philosophers pretty well. Epictetus. Thank you. <laughs> and he suggested that every time you kiss your child goodnight, imagine them dying the next day. In this way, you will appreciate and get the well-being from the ones that you love by imagining them not there and then appreciating them when they are. Now, OK, rather extreme and not for everybody, but I hope it gets the point across. Well, it takes the gloss off bedtime, doesn't it? <laughs> Maybe something like a, you know, a, a nice painting on the wall might be a better way of doing it. But obviously, I do, I do appreciate its point. Learning to value the things that are important to you. Can I perhaps suggest a less extreme way of maybe achieving this? Um, maybe create 
what you call an active plan for reminding ourselves by using some routine and automation. I recall being given some advice when we first had children that my wife and I should set one night aside to book a babysitter, you know, every couple of weeks, every month, whatever it might be. It might be that we only go for a walk. Having that routine will ensure that we continue to appreciate our relationship. Now, lockdown has actually made that quite tricky. Um, so there's there's no doubt that when this is this is over, we really need to be making time for just the two of us. Um, but some of the financial advisors will use this theory in their financial plans. You know, Ovation, we produce a financial well-being report which shows what the client has achieved and what makes them happy. You know, we go over this at every meeting we have for them. You know, we see them at least once a year, and we'll go through it and we'll talk about these things that make them happy, their objectives, what motivates them. Um, so that they are reminded of the things that are, they should actually be thinking about in their lives. But just on the point of automation and spending, this is where things like direct debit saving can be your real helper here. Because if you just do it and it's set aside, all of a sudden you'll realise, oh, crikey, I haven't got that money in my bank account anyway. So think about when you do get that pay rise, think about what makes you happy, saving towards that future and actually setting up automation, automatic direct debit savings is a great way as well. So David, um, let's ask you a question. There's uh, another way of doing this is abstinence. There's a positive effect on well-being to be had from abstinence. Now you mentioned that you've just done a dry January. Um, I know that you did dry January because you were moaning about it on, on Twitter. <laughs> um, I think I saw one very funny tweet where you said, I'm, I feel better, I've been sleeping so well and I'm bored. So. How good was that glass of wine when you were finally allowed to have it? Well, it was undeniably extremely enjoyable, I have to say. But talking about letting things go, it also made me realise that my, um, I'll put this carefully, my dependence on regular glasses of wine was actually something that I could do without. And, uh, you know, having, you know, a bit, a bit of a regular tippler, not every night, but, you know, a regular tippler for most of my adult life, glass of two of wine, you know, puts an ideal on the day and uh, gets you into the evening. So to go a whole month not drinking at all isn't something, quite frankly, I've done dry January a couple of times before, but, but you know, not something I often do. But what it did do was make me realise that I could do it, that I could manage without something that I thought was a very important part of my socialising and my social life. And actually, much as I really did enjoy and will continue to enjoy the glasses of wine that I will drink, I also enjoy the nights when I don't drink or particularly I enjoy the mornings the next day because my head is clearer and I've got a lot more energy. So um, by giving stuff up, I think, particularly if you're prepared to do it for long enough, you can begin to reframe the way you look at things. And I guess that's exactly what we're talking about here. You know, this lifestyle creep takes over. Um, you think, well, I have to spend that amount of money every month on, on wine. But when you don't spend it, you can then begin to appreciate the benefits of not spending that money, as opposed to just focusing on, oh, my God, I can't have a drink. Yeah, very, very true. Very true. I, I, I didn't publicize it, but I actually also had a period of abstinence and I had a dry January the 4th. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Chris. <laughs> so uh, I... I know we've mentioned this before, but I, I think it bears repeating. Um, the pub, the proceeds of the financial well-being book go to the Penny Bron UK Cancer Centre, um, where my wife works as a um, she's an oncology nurse and she spends time there as well. Um, to remind people of what Penny Bron do is they um, have a complementary approach to cancer care and later life care, 
And um, it's not instead of the chemo, but it's supporting the chemo. And it's things like mindfulness, well-being, nutrition, exercise, and the science behind that. It's a fantastic place. Um, and one of the things that Catherine Zolman, when she was on our podcast, said, and uh, my wife repeats this, which I just find amazing, is that people with a life-ending diagnosis often come to report an increase in their well-being. And we've talked about this and thought about this, and we think it's basically because they've gotten rid of the distractions in their lives that aren't adding to their well-being, and instead they just focus on the things that make them truly happy, which, of course, as we know, is mainly social relationships. Um, now, of course, this is not the way that we'd ideally like to have our attention focused, but we, maybe we can learn from that and get clarity over what brings us joy, our intrinsic motivations, and say anything else as distractions. As, as you said at the beginning, Chris, what are the effects of this hedonic adaptation is the endlessly increase in aspiration. You know, we spoke in an earlier podcast about the idea of the financial well-being junkie always seeking short-term fixes of well-being to keep up to that set level. You know, this, the positive stimuli be, being short-lived means that we keep increasing our aspirations to seek for that positive stimuli. I almost think it's like chasing the dragon. If any of you familiar with that concept of, of, of um, I'm not sure you would be, but I, I'm not somebody who's, who's gone down that slide. Just Google it. You'll see what I mean. Um, a bit like lifestyle creep where our lifestyle changes to reflect the increase in levels of our income means we never quite feel as though we have enough or there's enough left over at the end of the month, no matter how much we earn. It's this constant creep towards trying to get that stimulus of, of, of well-being. Now, if we could therefore find a way to continually remind ourselves of the things that is given us well-being, the things that are giving us well-being, we can avoid these pitfalls of hedonic, I really struggle with that word, hedonic adaptation of chasing things that don't add to our well-being. So it's really crucial that we really do focus on, on understanding what that is. Yeah, and I would imagine that comparison is another factor of uh, lifestyle creep. As you earn more, perhaps you move to a bigger house, how you socialise with people, perhaps now all of a sudden you you're socializing with people who take skiing holidays they invite you to join them so you've got the extra expenditure yeah and a, and a sense of belonging in our local community is a huge factor in overall well-being that one of the books that we always refer to well-being by Rath and harter based on gallup polls has community as one of the five pillars of well-being so but maybe sometimes you need to do the same expensive things in your local community in order to feel that you belong. That's understandable. But maybe you could belong in other ways rather than trying to keep up with material possessions. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I've referred uh, often in the past as, as a view, Chris, you know, I, I do a lot of work in my local community. I've been chair of the governors at the local school. I've had a long standing involvement with the local cricket club. Uh, I'm now on parish council. You know, none of those things make me any money. But I do because I want to be involved in my community and, and it certainly increases my sense of well-being. And from that, right. uh, Tomo, he will be referred to as Jackie Weaver. <laughs> Jackie Weaver. Oh, this, that's a real timestamp, isn't it? If, if you will know that this is being recorded. What is the council's name? Uh, is it Hartford? Hartford? I can't remember. Oh, it's absolutely superb. Um, yeah, I've should... seen a brief clip. I'm going to watch the whole thing later Maybe on. I should pop, pop a link in the show notes. It's just absolutely should. Definitely should. Definitely should. Right. So one of my roles in this podcast is to sum up, also to stop us getting too far off the point, 
So <laughs> let's try and recap what we've discussed. So this is how I see it. Um, lifestyle creep means that as we earn more, we spend more. It doesn't always add to our well-being. It means we don't save as much as we should. And to combat that lifestyle creep, we should automate savings, create routines around the things that bring us well-being, keep positive reminders of what gives us well-being around us, try to avoid distractions and comparisons. Does that sum it up? It does. I would say perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Right then, that's a good way to end the podcast. So on that basis, thanks very much for joining us today. I hope you found it useful. Please join us next time we come together for another one of our financial wellbeing podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial wellbeing. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Thank you.